Well, today we're in our second week of our sermon series uh, that we've called Encountering Jesus. If you weren't here a few weeks ago uh, when we started this series, basically what we're doing throughout this series is we're looking at some stories in the Gospels uh, where people had an encounter and interaction with Jesus that radically transformed their lives. And as we're looking at these stories, we're talking about what can we learn? How can God challenge us? How can he encounter us and change us through these stories as well. And so just to kind of set the tone for where we're going today, I wanna ask you a question I want you to think about. Has there ever been a time in your life that you can remember just being absolutely just thirsty? Like just think of a time in your life where you were just, you were just like super, super thirsty. Let's, let's paint a, a beautiful picture, last summer. The middle of the summer, it's like 90 degrees out. Some of you are just, just imagine right now. Right, you're, you're outside doing some yard work. Anybody love doing yard work? You just love working with your hand. You're out there in the garden. You're out there doing some landscaping. It's really hot, the hottest part of the day. You're sweating like crazy. You're kind of gross. And you're just like, man, I really could go for like a nice big glass of lemonade. Anybody ever been there? Or a nice sweet tea. They don't really make good sweet tea up here in the north, but like a nice like sweet tea or a, or a Chick-fil-A large half tea, half lemonade. Come on. That's a little bit of heaven right there. Or listen, in that moment, you're so thirsty. You're like, I'll just settle for ice water. I don't like water, but I, I feel like my body needs some water in this minute. Have you ever thought in the moments when you're really thirsty like that? I wonder why my body is thirsty. No, because that's weird, right? Like in, when, you're, when you're like thirsty, you don't think about it. I wonder what the science is behind why I'm feeling this right now. But our bodies are amazing, aren't they? Like our body actually works in this way. When, when, when we're missing certain nutrients, when our, our sodium levels in our body are out of whack, when, when the, the, our organs, which desperately need water to survive, aren't getting what they need, our body has a natural way. Our brain says impulses to say, you need to drink some water. You're, you're running low. You're not functioning the way you're supposed to. You need to quench this thirst or it's not gonna be good. If you don't, go, if you don't have water for a long period of time, what happens? You die. It's really, really important. And there's times, though, when we have that thirst that we quench our thirst the wrong way. There's been times like that, right? Like, I can remember back, I told you before that I used to own a coffee shop. And I can remember when I had this coffee shop, I would be at the coffee shop every day from, you know, 7 in the morning till 9 at night at least. And I was thinking back, I can remember times during that, that season where I went through a whole day and I realized at the end of the day that I had drank nothing but coffee the entire day. Like, I have like a complete tolerance to caffeine at this point. I could drink a cup of coffee and fall asleep while I'm drinking the cup of coffee at this point. It has absolutely no effect on my life, probably from that season. Because every time I was thirsty, I'd be like, I have regular coffee, I have iced coffee, I could make an iced latte, a cappuccino, I could make whatever. And that's literally what I would do all day. There'd be times I drink 19, 20 cups of coffee throughout the day during that span and I'd leave and I'd go, I didn't drink any water. And usually... I was kind of used to it and I didn't realize the effect it was having except for one time. I remember on the way home from work, I thought, you know what? I probably should stop at this gym. I, I membership to this place called Any, Anything Fit, Anytime Fitness. So it was open 24 hours. And so I stopped there on the way home. I think I'll get a quick workout in on this day that I drank nothing but coffee. And I started working out and immediately I started feeling terrible. Like I couldn't figure out why I was feeling so terrible, but I felt like horrible. I worked out very, very minimum 
and kind of left there feeling like I was gonna die. And I get in my car and start driving home. And as I'm driving home, I'm starting to feel like I'm gonna throw up. I'm starting to feel nauseous. I'm having, like my eyes are, are getting dark. Have you ever have one of these experiences where they're getting dark from the sides, not the way they're supposed to get dark. Like I'm about to pass out while I'm driving, cause an accident. I need to, to get off the road. So I, I quickly pull my car over in the road. I get out of the car. I can remember it was raining that night and I'm kneeling in this parking lot with my head on the seat of my car thinking, this is not the way I want to die, right? Like, this is not the way I want to go down. I don't want, to, I don't want them to be like, you were just drank too much coffee, you idiot, right? Like, this is not what I want to feel. Fortunately, I had some Gatorade in that moment, so I drank some Gatorade, got some electrolytes, felt a lot better, uh, at least better enough to get home and to actually get some water. Why? Because there's times where even though we, we drink something, even though we, we think we're quenching our thirst, we're, we're quenching our thirst with something that's not made to quench our thirst, that's not adequate to fulfill the need we have. Coffee's actually a diuretic, right? It actually makes you more dehydrated. Some of you think, well, there's water in it. Yeah, that doesn't count, right? Like, it's not good for you. And there's times that we, we try to fulfill that thirst in the wrong way. You might be wondering, why are we talking about this? Well, the story we're looking at in the Bible today has a lot to do with thirst. It talks a lot about thirst and, and water, and it actually takes place, of all places, at a well. We're gonna be looking at John chapter four this morning. So if you have your Bibles, I wanna encourage you to, to open your Bibles to John chapter four. We'll have it up on the screen as well, but you can follow along with us. John chapter four, we're gonna be looking at a pretty large portion of that this morning. But before we read John chapter four, um, would you just open up with prayer with me today? Let's just invite the Lord to speak to us through his word. I hope that when you show up here on Sunday mornings, you don't show up here just to check the box that you attended church for the week, even though there's probably not a box that you can check. I hope that when you show up here every week, you show up, if you're a follower of Christ, eager to be challenged, to grow in, in the Lord, to become different than when you walked in this place today. So we're gonna invite him to speak to us today through his word. Heavenly Father, every person in this room right now, Lord, we just invite you into this place. God, I pray right now that you would reveal anything in our hearts that you need to reveal today. God, I pray that you would speak to us, that you would encourage us, that you would challenge us, that your word would not return void, but we would leave here different than we came in here, more empowered to be who you've called us to be. And we thank you for that today. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. amen. John chapter four, start in verse one. When Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, though Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went again to Galilee. He had to travel through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the property that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about noon just to kind of set the scene of where we're at in this story. Jesus and his disciples had been doing ministry in Judea, which is the lower part of the country of Israel. They're beginning their ministry. He's doing miracles. He's preaching the gospel. And there's crowds and crowds of people that are beginning to follow Jesus. He's becoming very, very popular as he does these miracles and preaches this message. And they're baptizing followers at the time. And there was this group of people called the, the Pharisees. They were the religious elite, the religious leaders. They didn't really like what Jesus was doing. They didn't like that he was kind of stealing their thunder. He was, he was taking followers away from them. They weren't looked at with the same level of respect. People weren't going to them with all their questions. They were going to Jesus and they were getting a little bit jealous. And so what they did was they started to make it a little bit difficult for Jesus to continue to do ministry 
where he was. So Jesus made the decision that he was going to go up to Galilee, which is in the Northern Kingdom, around 80 miles or so north of where he was, and they were gonna do ministry. They didn't have cars at that time, so they were gonna walk this journey, take a few days to go up there. Now, the, the most common route, the most direct route, was through this area called Samaria. It was between Judea and Galilee, this area called Samaria. Even though it was the most direct route, it wasn't necessarily the most common route that people would take, especially those religious leaders, those religious elite. See, here's the thing. There was a, a deep-rooted hatred and dislike between the Jews and the Samaritans. So much so that Jewish people would often go further out of the way. It was already an 80-mile trip. They would, they would make it even further than that to completely avoid stepping foot in Samaria because they didn't want to be around those people. But Jesus is not like other Jews and other rabbis. And it says he had to go through Samaria. That's a really important verse. He had to go through Samaria. Why? Because as we're gonna see, there's someone in Samaria that needed to have an encounter with him. So the first thing I want us to see, if you're taking notes this morning, when it comes to this encounter we're looking at, number one, we need to understand that no one is beyond or beneath an encounter with Jesus. No one is beyond or beneath an encounter with Jesus. We have Jesus here. He's tired from the journey. It's hot, right? It's, 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 it's very warm. He's worn out. He's tired. They're, they're traveling along. They're now going through Samaria. He sits down at a well. The Bible says it's in the middle of the day. He's sweaty and tired. He sends his disciples off. And this is where the verse picks up. Verse seven it says, a woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? She asked him, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Now, it'd be easy for us to kind of read this and not really think too much of it, right? It would be easy to just think this is a little bit of a, a back and forth dialogue between a guy and a girl, no big deal, nothing. If you, if you don't really understand the culture or some of the deeper things and details that are going on, it's easy to miss the enormity of what is taking place in that moment. Jesus's request for this woman to give him some water was strange in a couple ways. Number one, she was a woman. I know that's obvious to us, but she was a woman, which was a big deal because in that time, in that culture, men did not usually initiate conversation with women, especially a woman they did not know. In fact, rabbis would not normally talk to a woman in public at all, even sometimes their own wife. It was a completely different culture. Men and women were not looked upon the same way. They, wouldn't, they didn't have the same rights. They weren't looked at and treated as equals. Women were, were often thought of as like second-class citizens or even, even property. So there was this, this gender difference that was going on here that was uncommon. But we see Jesus is not like other men, and he's not like other rabbis. Another thing, though, she was not only a woman, she was a Samaritan woman. Now, as I mentioned a little bit, the Jews and the Samaritans were very, very different from each other. They were at odds with each other. If you look into the history, Samaria was a part of Israel. In the Old Testament, the kingdom of Israel split into two kingdoms, the northern and the southern kingdom. Samaria was that northern kingdom. 
And what ended up happening during their history is they got overtaken by this people called the Assyrians. And when they got overtaken by the Assyrians, uh, the Assyrians, uh, the, the Jewish people that were left there intermarried with the Assyrians and they began to worship God, but they also kind of intermingled their worship with God with all these other pagan religions. And so they became almost like half-breed Jews. And the Jewish people thought that that's exactly what they were. They were half-breeds. They weren't true Jews. They were less. In fact, the Jewish people looked at the Samaritans as even worse than just Gentiles and, and pagans. Why? Because they were a mixture. They allowed the religion of God to become tainted with their pagan religions. And so they hated them. They wanted nothing to do with them. As I said, there'd be times that they would completely avoid even walking and stepping foot in that country just because they didn't want to be unclean by those people. So for Jesus to ask her for a drink from her vessel that she brought to the well, for most Jewish people, that would make them ceremon- they, they thought that that would make them ceremonially unclean, unworthy because they were taking part using the same vessel that a filthy, hated Samaritan used. She had two strikes. She's a woman, she's a Samaritan, and then lastly, she was an outcast. This one's a little bit harder to understand without digging a little deeper that we're gonna see, but this isn't the normal time of the day to be going to the well to get water. Normally, you would go to get water at the well in the morning before it was really hot or in the early evening. And typically, when a woman would go to the well to get water, they would go in groups. So some things have not changed, right? Like some things don't change. History has repeated itself. How many, like, girls, I don't understand, guys, we don't understand this, right? But girls would go to the bathroom together, like in groups. Like, I don't know if there's more room in there or if there's some kind of cool, like, arcade that we're missing in our bathroom. But for some reason, you love going in there in groups. I've never, I'm just like, maybe, I've never as a guy been like, hey, dude, yo, you wanna go use the bathroom with me? That's like, any guy, that's not weird, unless it's my son and I'm asking him if he needs to go potty, right? Like, but never another grown adult, hey man, can you walk with me to the bathroom? I'm a little nervous. Like, that's just weird. In fact, we have, we have other rules and guys will understand this. You don't understand this maybe as ladies, but we have other unspoken rules. There's urinal etiquette. Like if there's three urinals and you go in there and there's nobody at the urinal, you don't choose the middle one. Because it puts the next person that comes in at an awkward place. And if you go in there and... And, and, and you see somebody at the one on the left, you don't go to the middle one, unless it's the only option. I mean, you go into one of the stalls if that's an option, because you just don't want to make it awkward. But, but men and women are really different, right? So women, they go to the, the well together. They hang out together. This was a social time. They would talk about their lives. They would talk about their, their husbands and their families and what's going on. And here's this woman. She's going at the hottest part of the day when she knows she's gonna be by herself. No one's gonna bother her. She knows she's not gonna to have to deal with those other women. And we're gonna find out a little bit more of why she's going to that part. Nevertheless, there is three strikes against her at this, at this part, right? She's a, she's a woman, she's a Samaritan, and she's an outcast, but she's the very reason that Jesus had to go through Samaria. I was thinking about it and I was thinking, you know, Jesus went a path that most Jews would not go to encounter a woman that most people would want nothing to do with. That is, that is the powerful truth about Jesus' encounters. No one is beyond or beneath an encounter with Jesus. When you read this story in the context of the book of John, 
This is in John chapter four. In John chapter three, we see another encounter. We were gonna talk about this one, but because of the snow day, we, we kind of nixed this one. But there was another encounter that took place with a man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was, was, a, was a religious leader. He was one of those Pharisees, but he was a Pharisee that had a little bit of an interest in Jesus. He didn't wanna just cast Jesus off. He actually wanted to know more about Jesus and what he, he preached. And so he was interested in learning about Jesus, but he also didn't want to be outcast by the other Pharisees. And so he comes to have a meeting with Jesus in the middle of the night because he doesn't really want people to know that he's meeting with Jesus. And he shows up and he has all these questions and Jesus has this encounter with him and shares the gospel with him and his mission with him and what it means to be born again. And, and we don't know at that point, it's kind of like a cliffhanger. We don't really know what happens to, to Nicodemus at that point. Side note, if you've never seen the show, The Cho how many of you have seen the show, The Chosen? Some of you don't know what that is. I want to encourage you, download the app, The Chosen. It's, it's free. You can watch these episodes. Uh, it's a crowdsourced uh, showing of the life of Jesus. It's probably one of the best versions of, of anything I've ever seen to show who Jesus was. It's amazing. My wife and I love it. We bought the first season. Watch it. I, I cry a lot when I watch it. It just touches my heart. I'm going to be honest with you. But I would encourage you to watch it. They show this and depict this really, really amazing, I believe, in this, this videos. But... Here's Nicodemus, right? He comes, he's this religious leader. He has this encounter with Jesus. And then this next chapter, we see this woman. These two people could not be further from, further apart. I mean, they couldn't be more different. One is a, a man, the other is a woman. One is a, a religious insider, right? He's a, a Pharisee, he knows the Bible, he knows the law. The other one is this hybrid kind of pagan worshiper, doesn't really fully understand what it means to worship God, has this mixture of worship, a different temple, all of that kind of stuff. One uh, is an insider, self-righteous, knows the rules, you know, is a, is a respected insider. One is, a, is an outcast. Yet what we see is that even the religious person is not beyond an encounter with Jesus. And this woman is not beneath an encounter with Jesus. No one is beyond or, or beneath an encounter with Jesus. So what do we see happening in this story? In verse 10, it goes on to say this. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket and the well is deep. So where do you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us the well and he drank from it himself as did his sons and livestock. And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. Come on, the second thing I want us to see when it comes to this encounter is not only is no one beneath or beyond an encounter, but Jesus, he's the only one who can truly satisfy our deepest needs. Jesus is showing her in this moment, right? There is so much more to this encounter than what initially meets the eye. This, this encounter has really nothing to do with literal, actual water. Jesus is, is offering her something that is so much deeper, so much richer. He's trying to open her heart in this moment to what he wants to offer her. He knows her. He sees her, he knows what she needs more than anything else. And not only does he know what she needs, he has the ability to meet that need. He has the solution for her, her greatest needs and her greatest desires. And the truth is, all of us are, are like this woman at times in our life. We all have these deep-rooted desires and, and, and needs, things that, that God has created us with. 
He's created us with us, with these desires, these needs, these things in our lives. He's given us these things, but what ends up happening is often we try to fulfill these needs, but we try to fulfill them outside of the one who can truly fulfill the needs. We chase after other things that are never meant to fulfill us in that way, and we never receive what we're looking for, so we're constantly thirsty. We're constantly going back to the same well time and time again because we're not having our thirst quenched. The truth is we're created to find our our purpose. We're created to find our ultimate fulfillment in Christ, in Christ alone. There's a God-shaped hole that only he can fill in our lives. In fact, there's some deep-rooted needs that I think that Jesus has come to fill that we often chase after other things to fill. Let me give you a couple examples. Number one, we all have a deep-rooted need for love. Every single person has a deep-rooted need to experience love, to be truly loved, to be truly cared for, to be truly accepted. In Jesus, he answers and he fills this need for us. He's the only one who loves us perfectly and unconditionally. Sometimes we chase after different relationships to try to fill this need. We even expect sometimes our spouses to fill this need for us. And guess what? They can't. They're not made to fill that need that only Jesus can fill. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, it says, for, God, for while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were unworthy of love, while most people would look at us and be like, you're not worth dying for. It says that in that state, in our state of brokenness, in our state of hopelessness, in our state of unworthiness, before we cleaned ourselves up, Jesus in that moment died for us. He accepts us, he loves us, he desires for us to find that love and acceptance in him and him alone. We also have a deep-rooted need for forgiveness. I think deep down, every single one of us, we understand that we've sinned and we've sinned against God and we've messed up. We've fallen short of God's standards for our lives and we understand that our sin separates us from God. It makes us not be able to have a true relationship with God. We understand that. And so what do we often do? We often try to earn our way back into God's right standing. If I just do the right things, I clean myself up, I act a certain way, I talk a certain way, I dress a certain way. If I show up at church enough times, maybe I can just tip the scales in my favor. Maybe I can just do enough good to hopefully even the scales out and then I can earn God's forgiveness, get back in his standing. But the reality is it's endless pursuit of something we cannot do. We never can tip the scales in our favor. We never can earn ourselves back into right standing. So what does Jesus do? He provides for us the forgiveness that we could never get on our own. In 2 Corinthians 5, or excuse me, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 and 9, it says it like this. If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When we confess our sins to him, he does what we can never do on our own. He brings us into right standing with God, not based on our own ability, but based on his perfection in our place for our sins. Not only that, we have a deep-rooted need for our lives to have purpose. We have a deep-rooted need to know that we're not just living our lives, that our lives actually have meaning, that we were created for more than just going through the motions, going to work, having kids, going to sleep, and just repeat, 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 that our lives actually have purpose. And so Jesus, we find purpose in a relationship with Jesus. He loves us unconditionally and perfectly. He forgives us from our sins. He saves us, and then he invites us on mission with him. First, or 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20, it says this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. 
The old has passed away and see the new has come. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. If you are saved and you are in Christ, the Bible says you're a new creation, you have a new purpose. Your ultimate purpose isn't to have a career and to retire early. Your ultimate purpose is to be a part of God's kingdom expanding. You are an ambassador for Christ. He's put you where you are to tell other people about the good news that you've experienced in him. And then lastly, we also have a deep-rooted need for eternal life. I don't think we realize this one as much, but I think we forget sometimes that we are eternal creatures. We're not just a, a body with a soul. We're actually an eternal soul with a temporary body. That what we experience here on this life is, is so small compared to eternity. And this answers that great question of, well, there's gotta be more than just this life. There's gotta be something more than just this life. In Jesus, he fulfills that need we have because he offers us eternal life. In Romans chapter six, verse 23, it says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. John 5, 24, it says, truly I tell you, anyone who hears my word and believes him has sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment, but has passed from death to life. That means the moment you put your faith in God, you've passed from, from death to life. You have eternal life. You have a greater purpose. You're living for more than this world. Your promised eternity in heaven with Jesus. We have all of these needs and we have to understand that Jesus is the only one who can satisfy those deepest needs that we have. This woman, she was going to the well time and time again, but there was a deeper problem going on. She had a, a thirst in her life, desires in her life that were not being met. And she was running time and time again to the same things. And Jesus is telling her in this moment, listen, I have something for you that can change you that you won't have to do the same thing over and over. You're not gonna have to go through the same sins over and over. I wanna give you something where you will be satisfied. So these are the third thing. Jesus knows all your sins and he still wants to have an encounter with you. Let's look at verse 15. It says, sir, the woman said to him, give me this water. Talking about that living water that Jesus just talked about. Give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to come back here to draw water. She still does not understand what Jesus is offering. So I love what Jesus does here, right? He says, go call your husband, he told her, and then come back here and we'll talk about it. Verse 17, she said, I don't have a husband, she answered. You have answered correctly that you don't have a husband, Jesus said, for you've had five husbands and the man you're now with, he's not your husband. What you have said is true. Have you ever had one of those oh crap moments? You know what I'm saying? Like one of those moments. Can you imagine you're talking to a complete stranger you just met, you have a normal conversation. I mean, he's a little bit weird. He's talking about living water and you're at a well. And he's like, he's a little bit, but can you imagine all of a sudden that complete stranger starts telling you all your dirty, dark secrets? Like, so he just, let me show you. And he pulls up a projector and he starts putting all of your stuff on a movie screen. You're like, this is the reason I came to the well at this time. I don't, I want to avoid feeling like I'm feeling right now. I want to avoid, like, I, I try to avoid this. I try to pretend that this isn't who I am. I try to, to, like, this is not what I want to be hearing in this moment. I mean, Jesus straight up airs her dirty laundry to her. In other words, he's like, I know you. I know your story. I know why you're here right now. 
at this hottest time of the day. I know why you're not here with the other women. I know that you're trying to avoid the looks and the judgment and everything else you always experience. I know your brokenness. Now there's a reason for this. Because sometimes people read this and be like, man, Jesus is mean. Like that's harsh. But that's not what Jesus was doing in that moment. He's not... He's not saying this or showing her this to condemn her. That's not what he is about in this moment. He's not saying this to make her feel more shame. She's already felt enough shame. Jesus is inviting her to be open about her brokenness in this moment, to stop hiding what she's been hiding from so that she can experience true healing. See, the sins that she'd struggled with in her life, they were the byproduct of the misplaced thirst. They were the byproduct of the, of the fact that she was running time and time again to other things to fulfill what only he could fulfill. It wasn't about the sin to Jesus. It was about the thirst that she was quenching in ways that she shouldn't have been questioned. And here's what I want you to understand. What isn't revealed cannot be healed. Like when we try to hide, can you ever experience that in your life? When you have, have a sin in your life, it's one of those sins that's in darkness and you just kind of tr keep trying to cover it up and cover your path and cover your steps and there's no freedom from that and you constantly feel like you're in bondage and chains, but once you bring that to the light, once you are honest about your brokenness, that sin that held so much power over you starts to lose its power. Why? Because when it's in darkness, it's powerful, but when it's brought and exposed to the light, it loses its power, it loses its grip. What is not revealed cannot be healed. And so Jesus is trying to reveal something in her life, not to shame her, but to heal her to bring her into light so she could deal with her brokenness and not walk away the same way that she walked there. And here's the reality is we often try to deal with our sin in, in ways in our lives. And most of the time, they're really ineffective ways. Like sometimes we try to deal with our sin. We just try to ignore it. I'm just gonna pretend it didn't happen. I'm gonna pretend I didn't do it. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna ignore it. I'm just gonna try to cover it up and, and I'm just gonna try to drown out my thoughts and drown out the reminders and I'm not gonna listen to the condemnation and the shame. I'm just gonna pretend it never happened, which is really ineffective. It doesn't work. The other side of that is, well, you just go, well, I've already done it, so I'm just gonna give in and do it again. I've already messed up. There's no point going back. I'm just gonna keep failing, keep messing up, keep going to this well that doesn't satisfy because I've already failed. I've already screwed up, whatever. It is what it is. I'm just gonna give in to it. Or we try to deal with it ourselves. We try to do what we talked about earlier. If I just make this right on my own, if I just, I gotta earn my way back into God's standing. I gotta, I gotta, like, I've, 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 I know God still loves me. I just gotta make my way back into his right standing. I gotta earn my way back. I gotta do the right things. I gotta go through all the motions and go through all the processes and then God will love me again. He'll forgive me again. And we try to take care of it on our own. But the reality is all of these are ineffective ways of dealing with our brokenness. Because most of the time what we end up doing is we focus on the behavior and not on the, the underlying cause of the behavior. See, Jesus did not come so that we could experience behavior modification. He came so that we could experience heart transformation. And when we focus on our behaviors, what we realize is that the behaviors may change, but we just find another behavior that's not good to fill it with. And we keep going back to the same wells time and time again. Instead of finding what truly satisfies our thirst, which is having our hearts forgiven and transformed. Jesus did not die for, for behavior modification, but to heart transformation. So Jesus does to this woman. He reveals her stuff. Again, not to shame her, but to, to heal her. And what does she do when he does this? She does what we often do. She tries to change the subject. Verse 19, sir, the woman replied, I see that you're a prophet. Either that or you've been talking to the other woman in town. Somehow you know what I've been doing. And then she goes real severe already. She goes, our ancestors, they worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews say that the place of worship is in Jerusalem. So which is it? 
Jesus sees past it and she tell, he tells her, believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, in a real relationship, not going through the motions, not religion, but in spirit, because you're gonna have the Holy Spirit living in you and in truth. You're gonna know God and you're gonna worship him in spirit and in truth. Yet the Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, who's called Christ. And when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. I love this. Jesus told her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Come on, this is really powerful. You gotta understand this. At this point, Jesus hadn't really identified himself as the Messiah. He didn't tell the religious elite that he was the Messiah. He didn't claim it. But one of the first times he identifies who he really is, is to this broken outcast. Like that is powerful. Look, the person you're looking for, the one who can fill the void, the one who can heal your hurts, the one who can save you and forgive you and change your life, the person that's here talking with you, the person that went out of his way specifically to meet you, I am, I'm he. And her eyes are opened in this moment. She's no longer that same broken outcast. The promised Messiah knows her, knows all about her, knows her sins and her brokenness that she still came out of his way to have an encounter with her, to change her, to offer her living water so she didn't have to go back to that same well time and time again. No longer was she looked at with those same eyes of condemnation and shame, but the savior of the world, the Messiah, looks at her with eyes of love and acceptance and forgiveness and invites her to receive living water that will quench that thirst that she's been chasing after in all the wrong ways. And it radically changes her life, which leads to the fourth and final thing I want us to write down today when it comes to this encounter, and that's this. When we truly encounter Jesus, we can't help but worship him and help other people experience in him. When you really encounter Jesus, you can't help but, but live a life of worship to him and a life where you want other people to experience him. So look what happens in verse 27. Just then his disciples arrived back and they're amazed that he was talking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you want or why are you talking with her? They knew better. Then the woman left her water jar, went into town and told people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they left the town and they made their way to him. She was so radically changed in this moment that she drops the very water jars, the very purpose that she came to that well. Like she wasn't even interested in getting water to fulfill her, her temporary thirst anymore because she met somebody who fulfilled her actual thirst. I mean, understand, like she just left the water jar. She's like, I gotta tell everybody in this moment. And so she leaves town and she doesn't even know all about Jesus. She doesn't have a great testimony at that point. All she says is, look, this guy told me everything I did and he still loves me and accepted me. I, got, I want you to meet him. You need to meet this guy. Could this be the Messiah that we've waited for? Could this be the one? She leaves it all behind. I think what, this is amazing. One encounter with Jesus, she went from outcast to evangelist, right? Like that's that one encounter with Jesus all it took for her to go from outcast to evangelist. She's experienced what Jesus would, would say, said she would experience in verse 14 when he says, whoever drinks this water that I give will never be thirsty again. In fact, the water I give will become a well 
springing in him for eternal life. When we truly encounter Jesus, we can't help but worship Jesus. When we truly encounter the change that he does in our lives, when he satisfies that deepest need, that deepest thirst, and we realize we don't have to run to the same things anymore, we can't help but live a life of worship to Jesus. And not only that, but that springing living water, it springs up inside of us. We can't contain it anymore. It overflows in our lives and reaches the people around us as well. We can't help but want other people to experience what we've experienced, the change that Jesus has done in our life that's available to them. Listen, when you really know Jesus, when you've really had an encounter with Jesus, you won't come into church on on Sunday morning and just go through the motions. I'm just gonna sing really quietly and I'm just gonna check off the box. No, you're gonna worship passionately because Jesus has changed your life. You're gonna live passionately and serve passionately because Jesus has encountered your life and given you your deepest thirst that you have. He's answered that in your life. And not only that, but you're not gonna look at broken people and sinners anymore and be like, they're just sinners. You're gonna be like, those are people who need Jesus. Those are people who need to be healed. Those are people who are looking in all the wrong places. And I know the answer to the hope that they have. And I can't contain it. I want them to know too. Like you never will look at that. Our hearts become passionate about the things that Jesus is passionate about. And what did Jesus do? He came to seek and to save the lost. And if we're gonna truly follow him, then our lives are gonna be about seeking and saving the lost. We worship him and we want other people to experience him. Look through the rest of the story. In verse 31, it says, in the meantime, His disciples kept urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said, I have food to eat that you don't know about. The disciples said to one another, could someone have brought him something to eat? Again, they don't get it either. He says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me to finish his work. Jesus told them, don't you say that there are still four more months and then comes the harvest. Listen to what I'm telling you. And this is really powerful. Because a lot of scholars believe at this point, this woman had gone back to town. She had invited a bunch of people and a bunch of people from town were now coming to where Jesus was. They're coming to this well. And Jesus is talking to his disciples about their mission and what they're really supposed to do and what they're supposed to be. And he looks at the Samaritans and the people from this town that are walking to meet him, to hear from him. And Jesus looks at them and he says, open your eyes and look at the fields because they're ready for harvest. Look around you and don't look at people through the same lens you constantly look at people, but look at them through the lens of the gospel. Look at the fields, they're ripe for harvest. This woman, one encounter, she changed her whole village. This is our mission. This is what we're supposed to do and what we're supposed to be about. Look at the fields, they're ready for harvest. The reaper is already receiving pay, gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper can rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap what you, did not, what you didn't labor for. Others have labored and you have benefited from their labor. Now, many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of what the woman had said when she testified. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay and he stayed with them for two days. And many more believed because of what he said. And they told the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said, but we have heard for ourselves and know that this really is the savior of the world. See, sometimes when we think of evangelism, we think of telling people about Christ, we think we need to have all the answers. We just need to set up the appointment. Like we just need to be willing to set up the appointment. This is what God has done in my life. See, here's the thing. You don't have to have all the right answers, but nobody can argue with the changed life. Nobody can argue when they look at your life and they know who you were before and how much of a terrible husband and father or wife and all these other things you had in your life and you were a sinner and you were addicted and you were lost and all this other nonsense you had going on in your life, but now you're changed because you met Jesus. Nobody can argue with a changed life. So all we have to do is be willing to share what God has done in our life and, and, and understand that we can trust him with the results. It says no longer would we believe because of what you said. We believe because we've experienced him ourselves. As we close this morning, I just wanna give a couple challenges. Would you stand with me as we close? 
We're going to end with a time of worship in just a moment. But maybe you're in here today and you come into this place today and you're like that woman at the well. You've attempted maybe to fill your life with many different things, but what you've attempted to fill your life with has still left you empty. I mean, that's how sin often works in our lives, right? It, it overpromises, but it always underdelivers. Sin is fun for a time, but it always leaves us wanting more, takes us further than we ever thought we would go. There's things that we run to in life to find fulfillment that will never fulfill us and give us what we're, we're looking for. Maybe you come in here today and you look at your life and you say, man, I'm broken and I'm, I've messed up and I failed and I've sinned and all this other stuff. And you go, man, I just, I'm just, I don't think God wants to have anything to do with me anymore. I feel like I've had my chances. I've gone to church. I've gone through the, the motions at times, but I just feel like I've messed up. Like this story should show us that, that nobody, no matter how far you've gone, no matter how messed up you think you are, no one is beneath an encounter with Jesus. And the story in the chapter before with Nicodemus to show us that, that God even wants to have to do with you religious, self-righteous people too. And when you come into church and we go, man, I'm, I'm, I'm worthy of this love. I'm worthy of what God has done because I've gone through the motions. I haven't sinned like those people. I haven't messed up like those people. God still wants to have an encounter with you where he changes that as well. Where you no longer look the same way at God, but you look at him with new eyes, an eyes and heart of worship, a desire to see other people experience him as well. A God-sized hole in your life cannot be filled with anything but Jesus. In John chapter 7, verse 37 to 38, it says, if anyone is thirsty, this is Jesus speaking, he says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within them. This is Jesus' invitation for every single person in this room today. You can continue to try to be satisfied apart from him. You can run from relationship to relationship, job to job, addiction to addiction, thinking that it's gonna fulfill you and give you what you're looking for. You can run to Jesus who offers you living water, who offers you something that will satisfy where you don't have to run to the well again and again, but you find that living water that bubbles up and springs up in your life and not only in your life, but now through your life those greatest needs you have of love and forgiveness and purpose and eternal life, Jesus is the answer for those things. So with nobody looking around for just a second, if you're here today and you say, today's that day. Today's that day that I'm stepping from death to life. Today's that day that I'm saying, I'm no longer gonna chase after all of these temporary things to fulfill what only Jesus can fulfill. Today, I wanna accept that living water. I want him to be that ultimate thirst quencher in my life to give me what I know I cannot find outside of him. Would you just raise your hand real quick? So we know we're praying with you today. I'm gonna look around for just a second. See some hand over there. Anybody else would say today's that day? I'm look around for just a second. Well, we wanna celebrate with people as they take that step. That's why we're here, church. That's why we do what we do. We want people to come to know Christ. And so we're gonna pray with you in a second. And I want us to all pray together right now. Maybe you didn't raise your hand, but you are saying today is that day. I want you to just pray in faith. Invite the Holy Spirit to work in your life. Invite Jesus in. Give him those deepest and darkest things because guess what? He already knows them anyway. And he still loves you and wants to have a relationship with you. So Father, we thank you for today, God.
God, I pray for the hand that was raised and many of the others that are here, but maybe did not raise their hand, but are saying yes to you today. God, I pray today would be a day in their life that they look back, God, that they would receive your forgiveness. They would confess their sins to you. Lord, you already know them anyway, but they would be open about their brokenness. God, I've messed up, I've failed, but I receive your forgiveness. I wanna leave this place today as a new creation, knowing that I'm forgiven, that I am loved, that I have a purpose and that eternal life, eternal life is mine in and through Christ. God, I pray that this day would be a significant day, a defining moment day as they begin to walk as a follower of you from this day forward, surrendering their heart to you, living for you and accepting your, your living water bubbling up in and through their lives. We thank you for that. Maybe you're in here and you are a follower of Christ, but if you're honest with yourself, there's been some areas in your life that you've been chasing after to still find what only Jesus can give you. There's an area in your life that you're still kind of holding on to, that you're still trying to hide from him, that sin that you refuse to, to confess and admit, that's holding you back, that's keeping you captive. Can I tell you something? That living water is available for you as well. Jesus did not die on the cross and free you from your sins so that you can continue to walk in bondage. He's given you everything you need, the Bible says, to live the life that honors him, to live a life of purpose, everything you need. You don't have to stay in a cage. You don't have to stay bound to those sins. You can have freedom. And so if you're in here today and that's you and you're still chasing after other things for that purpose, chasing after other things, listen, here's what I want you to do. When we worship and close today, I just want you to repent for those sins. Repent simply means to turn away from where you're going and turn back to God. God, my life is yours. My sin is yours. My mistake is yours. I know your love is there for me. I know your forgiveness is new. Your mercies are new every morning. I don't have to make it up to you because Jesus has already done everything for me. I just need to walk in repentance and walk in relationship. Father, everything is yours today, God. We worship you today. We love you today, God. We want people to experience you, to have a relationship with you, God. We want to be a part of what you're doing. Lord, we want our lives to be living sacrifices. We want our lives to be worshiped, not just our words, but Lord, everything in our life to be worshiped to you. Everything we do, everything we say, how we act outside of here on Sunday mornings, we want it to be worshiped to you. We give you all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Through, but since 